you have your Bibles, open to Matthew chapter 2. As we continue on in this, this Christmas story from Matthew, I don't know if you know that Christmas is in a week, right? You know that. Is everyone's Christmas shopping done? Right? Half the guys are like, oh, right, Christmas shopping. <clears throat> Just to let you know, because I've done this, Christmas Eve, by the time Christmas Eve rolls around, gas stations are your only option, all right? So your kids are going to be getting like washer fluid and jumper cables, all right? So don't leave it to Christmas Eve, all right? I don't know about you, but when you're shopping, do you guys have like favorite stores you like to shop at for Christmas? Personally, for me, because I'm not a huge fan of crowds, my favorite store is shopping online in my pajamas. Like I just, that's how I want to make it happen, right? But maybe you've got favorite places you like to go. For my kids shopping, because we're from Muskoka, my kids just love to go to a mall where there's an escalator. Like, that's Disney World for them, right? So we go down to Barry, and they're like, yeah, escalator. People look at us like, are you from another country? No, we're just from Huntsville. It's all good, right? <clears throat> so they love that. That's their favorite. Now, I don't know if you have favorite, other, you have favorite food or, or favorite restaurants you like to go to. My favorite restaurant, it's weird to say it's my favorite because I've only been there once. It was a restaurant in Chicago that if, if we ever talk about restaurants, you've probably heard me talk about this before. It's this restaurant called Texas de Brazil. Have you ever been to one of these before? So here's what happens. This place is phenomenal. I walk in and see this huge salad bar, right? So if you're like vegetarian, it's for you as well. But I walk in and my buddy says, hey, hey, don't waste valuable stomach space on that rabbit food, all right? Like, <clears throat> come on, away from the salad bar to the table. So we sit down at the table, and here's what they do. They've got these coasters, like the, uh, these little discs on the table. On one side, it's red. On the other side, it's green. When you have it on red, you're telling the waiters, I'm full, I don't want anything else. But when it's on green, oh, they come by, it's like meat Olympics, all right? Like they've got every kind of meat you can think of. And as long as it's on green, they, they keep it, the steak and, and the, the meat with the bacon wrap. I don't know what it's called, but it's got bacon on it, so it's so good. They got pork and chicken, every kind of on these big skewers. And as long as the green disc is turned to green, as long as the disc is flipped up on green, they keep bringing more food. I'm thinking, man, you know what? Give me this extra knife, not to cut more meat, because I want to stab this disc into the table on green, because I don't want you to stop, all right? And I walked out with, like, bacon sweats for sure, all right? <clears throat> Phenomenal place. But the, the most important thing, though, if you go, the most important thing is to go from red to green. And here's the thing. My, my greatest hope for us as a church even if this is your first Sunday here, even if you're like, you know what, it's my first Sunday ever in church. My, my hope is for each of us to go from red to green. I mean, I spent so much of my life on red, saying no to God, saying, you know what, I don't want anymore, I don't want, I don't want Jesus. But when I flipped my life over from red to green, my life radically changed. And listen, it still is. Every day, every part of my heart that I turn over to God, I go, no, I'm turning this to green. I want you. And keep flipping that over. And Jesus keeps stepping in. I'm telling you, it's the greatest life ever. And so as a church, as a church that cares to reach out to those who are far from Jesus, I want us as a church to keep going from red to green. I mean, that our lives would be on mission to reach out to, to those people we know who are family or friends or coworkers or neighbors. Because why? Because we want to point them to Jesus Christ. I mean, one simple way, even this Christmas season, to go from red to green in that is invite people to Christmas Eve. 
You've got these little invite cards and, and our Christmas Eve service, although it's for us, it's for you. It's gonna be phenomenal. Just hearing what Eric's putting together musically, it's going to be an unbelievable evening. Listen, and we do that because we wanna do it for us, for you as a family, but also, here's the bigger reason. We don't just do it for us. We wanna reach out into our community. It's our largest outreach we do. The place will be jam-packed full of people. And so here's what I want you to do. Take those cards and start praying. Lord, who do you want me to invite? And start thinking through, maybe even right now as I say that, I mean, a person flashes in your mind and you can picture that person that you need to invite to Christmas Eve and begin now even praying, God, open their hearts, not to come just to be entertained for Christmas Eve, but that the gospel would be heard and received. Let's go from red to green. Let's, let's keep going from red to green as a generous church. I mean, I just said 86 families adopted. Let's continue to be a church that, that has that whole generosity thing flip from red to green. Jesus, we want more. We want to give more. Uh, as a church that serves, that we would go from red to green. There's so many opportunities for us to serve here in our church with Harvest Kids, with youth, with small group, with the welcome teams and the setup and teardown teams. In our community, so many opportunities to serve with Christine's place, and I think just about every town has some sort of a soup kitchen you could jump on board and help with. There's Young Life, there's The Door in Huntsville, a youth drop-in center. I just got their newsletter. While the ministry continues to grow at The Door, more youth taking advantage of it, their volunteers are at an all-time low. They need people to help out. Maybe for you, maybe you're like, you know what? I really care about the busted up, broken youth in my town. I'm from Huntsville, I wanna be a part of that. Then you go from red to green, say, I wanna serve there. We keep flipping our lives to green. We've been seeing in this series through, through the book of Matthew that, that Jesus steps into our world, that he steps into the brokenness, into a world that was not perfect, into a, a land that was under Roman rule that had appointed this king, King Herod, who wasn't even a real king, who didn't even want to be there. He was a vicious king. They're living in this, this area. Jesus born into a family that's an obscure family in a tiny town, but he steps into the mess, into the brokenness to bring hope, to bring healing in the chaos. And Jesus has stepped into our mess to make a way for us to go from red to green, to make a way for us to say yes to God. So right now, I don't know about you, but in my heart, in my life, my guess is across this room, it would be the same. There are parts in my life, parts of my heart that are not turned from red to green, that I still have flipped over to red, that I still have in my life where I say, no, God, don't touch this. Don't touch my money, maybe. I mean, if you don't, don't touch my particular view on this issue. Look, I know what the Bible says, but you know, don't touch that, Jesus. I'm holding on to this. Don't touch how I feel about this person that hurt me. I want to hold on to this bitterness. That's staying on red. Don't, don't touch my job. Don't touch my family. Don't touch my future. Don't touch my control. Don't touch my peace. Don't touch my schedule. Don't touch that sin that I hold on to, that I cling to. And we have these parts in our life, in our heart, that Jesus says, look, I'm looking to step into that, and we flip over to red, say, no, no, we've had enough. But here's the thing, when we turn our lives, when we turn those parts over to red, listen, God might be at work all around us, but we're saying no to him. It's not that he doesn't have the resources or the power to step into that part of our life. When we say no to God, 
he doesn't go to work. But when we flip over from red to green, what are we doing? We're unleashing God's power and activity in our lives. So here we are walking through these these first two chapters in the book of Matthew on, on what happened on that first Christmas. And we're picking up in chapter two a group of people who you wouldn't think would ever have their lives go from red to green. You wouldn't expect these people to, to, to not just flip from red to green, but be all in green, like, like all in, sacrifice it all, fully on mission. We're giving everything to pursue and find and worship this Jesus at all costs. We call them the wise men. And this morning, as we jump into chapter two here and look at these men we call wise men, here's the first thing I want us to see. Our first point this morning is this. I want to join these wise men in seeking Jesus. I want to join these wise men in seeking Jesus. It says this, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and they, going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, there, there's so much about these wise men we, we don't know. Um, they're called wise men or magi. All we really know about them is they're from the east. Some think they may have been from Babylon or Persia. Here's one thing we, we, can, we can guess, that they were likely rich and powerful men. I mean, they traveled from a long ways off, and they probably were traveling in a caravan. I, I don't mean to blow up your nativity scene if you got one set up in your home, but I don't think there were just three of them. I mean, we say three, because maybe gold, frankincense, and myrrh, we think three, but I, I think they'd be traveling in a, a really huge caravan, because it said that when they came in, Herod and all of Jerusalem was troubled by their presence. Jerusalem's not getting troubled because three dudes on camels show up, all right? My guess is they're coming as a big caravan, this large group. I also think that they are rich and powerful because they get to have a meeting with Herod. Not everybody gets that. You don't just get to go in and go, hey, we want to see King Herod. These guys get this meeting. And Herod actually does a favor for them. He calls all the scribes and the scholars and the chief priests together to help them out to find this king of the Jews. They also bring these costly, costly gifts. I mean, you get the impression that these guys were very rich, very powerful people. 
And they're on this journey. What are they doing? They're seeking after Jesus. They want to be in the presence of Jesus. Their lives have gone from red to green. And so my question is, what about us? Are we on that same journey? I mean, do you know Jesus this morning? I mean, have you searched for Christ and found him? And maybe for you this morning, you haven't begun that journey at all. And you're like, this is what I'm doing here. I'm, I'm looking for Jesus. Maybe this morning, you're like, yeah, I've already found Jesus. My question this morning is, are you continuing to search for him, for more of him? Or, or have you found in your life, you've flipped from green back to red and say, I've got enough Jesus. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with just having the saving Jesus. I don't need anything more than that. I got my fire insurance from hell. I'm good to go. I don't want Jesus meddling in my life. But Jesus, listen, I don't come just as your Savior. I come as your Savior and Lord. We flipped it over and said, I don't want Jesus to mold me. It's too, it's too uncomfortable. I don't want him to change me. I'd rather just stay as I am. Or, or maybe you're satisfied with just a theological Jesus. Like, I've got my doctrine figured out. I've, I've got it all worked out. I know the scripture. I, I don't want any life change beyond that. So I'm flipping to red. Listen, don't stop at these. Let's be a people whose lives are turned over to green where we say, I want more of Jesus in my life. Jesus, you have access to everything. I want to search for Jesus like the wise men did. Now, how did they search? Well, here's one way they searched. I want to seek until I found the treasure. I don't want to stop looking until I found the treasure. Just last year, my, my family, we, we went to Florida, and we drove there, and, and on the way driving there, we ran into this huge traffic jam because apparently there's a rock slide somewhere in Tennessee that totally blocked the interstate. So we're stopped at night on the side of the interstate. Couldn't move at all. Stopped so long that I basically, I just put it in park and said, I'm going to go to sleep. Wake me up when it starts to move again. Now, here's what I didn't do, though. I didn't say... Well, you know what? This is as good as Florida. Might as well stop. Okay, girls, we're pulling over. This is our Florida vacation. But dad, we wanted to swim. There's water in the ditch. Have at it. There's your beach. I'll throw some sand over there. Put your sunscreen on. Isn't this great? No, it's the side of the interstate. It's not, it's not the end of the destination. We don't want to stop there. Don't be satisfied with stopping on the side of the road in your walk with Christ. Pursue more of him. Pursue more in your relationship with Jesus. Don't be satisfied with just knowing a little bit about Jesus. It's not enough to, to have just heard about Jesus. It's not enough to, to even talk about and preach about Jesus and serve him. It's not enough to even to do miraculous things in his name. It's not enough to be stirred by his story or moved by his teaching. None of that matters if you haven't found him and given your life to continue pursuing him, to know him more. I mean, these wise men could have stopped anywhere along the journey. It was a long journey. Maybe they could have stopped somewhere in the desert saying, this is too hard. Maybe they could have stopped when they landed in Jerusalem, which they thought, man, this is a holy city. This is where it's going to happen. And nobody knows what's going on. They didn't stop. Instead, they sought out more. They were so hooked on finding Jesus and wanting more of Jesus. Nothing else could satisfy. They couldn't stop anywhere. I mean, think about the journey they took. The Bible calls them magi. We get a word magic from that or magician. And like I said, they could have been from Babylon. There are some who think these may have been the same people who would have taught Daniel back in the book of Daniel. 
Or that they, they could have been from Persia. But here's this. They, they, were, they traveled from the east. They traveled a huge distance, a, a huge amount of time. Now, again, I don't mean to blow up your nativity scene, but they're showing up, and they show up at the house of Jesus. Right? They're not at the manger. Okay? They're now at the house. It took them a long time to get there. Jesus probably now a toddler. Right? So if you want to fix your nativity scene, if it's in your living room, take your wise men and put them in the kitchen. All right? and say that. They're still traveling. They're not here. You don't have to do that. If your kitchen's east, it would be even better. If it was east of your living room, like that would be so biblically accurate. All right? I'm keeping my wise men where they are. My wife would not let me move them. All right? So here's the thing. They traveled this huge distance to get there. Think of the stuff they had to go through how hazardous it would have been. This idea of a quick and easy spirituality, if you don't find it anywhere in Scripture, that they would have had to to worry about bandits that would come and steal the treasures they had with them. They had the elements to fight against. They probably faced ridicule. Can you imagine everybody that stopped them? Hey, where are you going? We're not sure. How long is it going to take to get there? We don't know. And they, they kept going. All they knew is they needed to find this Jesus to worship him, and they were willing to experience loss of comfort, loss of life, loss of home. And they get to Jerusalem, and they say, where's the newborn king of the Jews? Now, I'm sure they thought such a huge event that's taking place that for sure in the holy city of Jerusalem, they would know about it. I wonder how shocked they were when they showed up and no one knew what they were talking about. Nobody else was seeking Jesus. They were the only ones looking for Jesus. Listen, you can live in the most holy city and still miss Jesus. You can go to church every Sunday and still miss Jesus. You can grow up in a Christian home and still miss Jesus. How? Jerusalem was satisfied. They'd flipped the card over. They had enough. We just want religion, and we've got religion. We don't need any more. And they missed Jesus. I'm so thankful the pastor of this church, because I got to believe this, because I see it in your lives, that if the wise men came in this morning, they would catch people who knew Jesus. They would come in here, and you you would go, I don't know what you're talking about. No, because you would be pursuing Jesus. Here's my prayer, that not just on Sunday morning, that, that this would be a part of our lives all week. That if wise men came to your work, if wise men came to your school, if wise men came to your home, and they said, we're seeking Jesus, that you wouldn't be stumped and go, ah, my pastor talks a bit about him. I think my wife takes notes. Let me get her and see. Be like, yeah, let me introduce you to Jesus because I'm walking with him right now. And you have something new to share. You say, I know him. I can point you to him. We pray every Sunday that this will be a place where Jesus' name is lifted up high in worship, that God's name is glorified in our worship, in the preaching, in the time we spend with each other. My prayer is this, let's keep being seekers. Seek until we found the treasure. Here's another way they they, they were seekers. They, They sought until they found the treasure. They also sought Jesus with their whole life. They gave everything to this. I mean, Herod says in verse 8, you guys go and find him and then come back to me. You're going to read later. If you continue on for the rest of chapter 2, you see that Herod wasn't really wanting to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus. That's why he wanted them to go find him because he felt that his throne was going to be threatened by this new king coming in. But he says to the wise men, you go do the work. You find Jesus, come back and talk to him. Listen, someone can't seek for you and then tell you about it. 
We're not seeking a thing. We're seeking a person. You need to seek out Christ. Now, I can tell you a whole lot of things about my wife, Libby. I can tell you all the reasons why I love her. But unless you spend time with her, you won't really know her. You'll just know the things I've told you about her. We need to seek Jesus ourselves. We need to seek Jesus with our whole lives where we spend time in the word or we're spending time in worship. We're gathering with other followers and we're sharing what we're learning where we're on mission for Christ in our day, where we're living a life that shows Jesus, where we're in prayer. I mean, if you're someone who's, who's really seeking Jesus, Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like, man, I, I am here as purely as a seeker, man. I, I've been checking Jesus out. I've been coming to this church for a while. Or maybe this is your first Sunday and you're thinking, I want to know more about Jesus. And you're seeking. I'm telling you, pray, Lord, let me find you. I tell you, God loves to answer that prayer. When that comes from a heart that's truly seeking, you're saying, Jesus, make yourself known to me. I want to know who you are. If you're here and, and, and you're not a new believer, but you're seeking for more of Jesus, maybe you've been distant from Christ. Maybe there's been hurt and pain in your life, and you're wondering where God is in the midst of that mess and hurt and pain. Maybe you've said no a lot, and you flipped over card after card in your heart, Pray and ask God. And God will answer that prayer. I love Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14. It says this, you will seek me, God's saying this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. Listen, God will pursue a seeker. Think about these wise men. They're seeking Jesus. What's God doing? He's working the entire universe to help them. He's got this star. I mean, I don't know how it worked, but, but the, there's nothing in the entire universe that's outside of God's control. And God's so eager for those pursuing him that he'll seek you out when you seek him with your whole heart. He'll make himself known. Now, what's it look like? What's that look like to seek with your whole heart? Love what it says in Romans 12, 11. It says, don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. So again, it's going to take some effort. You, you can't be slothful about this seeking. It can't be a one-time, yeah, maybe Jesus. No, there, there's no slothfulness about it, but it says fervent in zeal. There's a passion to it. There's a desire there. Fervent, the original word there in Greek, it actually means boiling over. You're boiling over with this passion. That's how much I want to know Jesus. I'll do whatever it takes. And so this morning, what is it this morning that would hold you back from that passion, from that zeal? What's stopping you from pursuing Jesus? Is it hurt and pain in your life? Is it bitterness where, where somebody's wronged you and you're like, man, I can't get past this wrong, so I'm holding on to the bitterness instead? Is, is, it, is it control? I don't want to give God control of this situation. Is it fear that stops you from pursuing Jesus? Is it, is it foolishness? Is it, is it anger? Is it a, a view of yourself where you have so much self-pity and self-loathing that stops you from stepping out? Is it greed? What, what is it that would stop you where you've flipped over that car and you said, no, no, God? How do we flip that card back over? 
What's it look like to turn that no to a yes and say, Lord, I do want you here. I do want to experience you more. I do want to pursue you more. But, but this thing, whatever it is that's stopping me, it's so difficult to get through. How do, how, do I, how do I move past that, Lord? How do you step in into the midst of this mess to provide hope and life so I seek more of you? I like what Thomas Chalmers said. He said that, the way, we, the way we move past those things called hard idols, those things that stop us, is not so much saying, I'm just going to drop those and forget those. It's, it's having a greater affection. He says our hearts are filled with the expulsive power of a new affection where we see Jesus as the greater treasure. We see, Jesus, you're greater than any other appetite I have. We see the Lord's approval as being more valuable than the approval of anyone else, even ourselves. And so often, though, I think we get caught in this, I don't think I can pursue more of Jesus. I think maybe I've got enough. I don't, maybe he can't step in and do a work in this area. Maybe I've got enough of Jesus. Maybe it's okay that I flip this card over. Maybe it's okay that my heart says, no, no more of you, Jesus. I think I know you enough, and I don't think I need to pursue you anymore. I think because Jesus is a person, because it's a relationship, it's as ridiculous as saying, I was married on this date, and I said I do, so I don't need to know my spouse anymore. I started the journey. I, I mean, I, I went forward. My hand was raised. I, I asked Christ into my life. I'm, I, he's changed me, and that's all I need. I don't, no, it's like saying, I said I do. No, what do you do? You keep pursuing. You keep going after that. You keep pursuing the relationship. We need to keep continuing to seek Jesus. Look what happens when you do. Look at verse 9. These wise men don't give up. They get to Jerusalem. Nobody seems to care. But they don't stop there. Look at verse 9. After listening to the king, listening to Herod, they went on their way. Look what happens. As they go on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I don't know. Had the star disappeared? Did it, did it stop? Here, here's the thing, though. When they started to move, God, God steps in again. He gives more light on their search. Again, God's faithful to those who are seeking him. He says, I'm going to give you more light. I'm going to reveal more of who I am. Now, the light doesn't move until they start to move. I started thinking of it this way. You know, on your GPS where you, you plug in your destination, you don't actually see the whole, the whole route. There's a little button you can press where you can say, show whole route, right? And you press that button and boom, you see the whole thing. But then as you, when you want to use it as a GPS, you, you have to move and then your GPS tells you, turn right in 500 meters, right? And then you keep moving and then you see where the next turn is and you keep moving, you see where the next turn is. Rarely does God work in a way where we have a button in our life where you go, I want to see the whole journey, Lord. Let me see the whole, no. God says, you start to move. As you move, I'll tell you the next turn. And the next turn, you will get to your destination. If you're sitting and waiting for God to show up and, and God, I need wisdom, I need direction. Maybe, maybe rather than just talking and worrying and stopping, maybe it's time you get onto your knees. Maybe it's time you jump into that small group and say, I need wisdom here. Maybe it's time you get up and move and actively seek out God's wisdom in it. Continue to be a seeker. Continue to know him more. Get into the word, actively seek, and as we move, God will say, I'll give you the next bit of light. 
Our life as seekers never stops. I love the Apostle Paul, when he's writing to the church in Philippi, he says this in Philippians chapter 3. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, as garbage, as dung, in order that I may gain Christ. So he's saying, there's this new affection he has, but then he says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The apostle Paul was a lifelong seeker, just pursuing more and more of Jesus, wanting to know him more and more. It's, it's this ongoing journey saying, I want more of Christ in my life. I want to flip out more cards over from red to green. Because there are many people in this story, just like in our time, there are people in this account that had those cards flipped right over to red. You look at Herod. Herod's like, I'm not seeking anymore. Who was Herod? Herod was this guy who was appointed by Rome in this region to be a fake king, basically, because he was just sat there, hey, you rule over those people. Herod was a wicked ruler, didn't want to be there, hated being there, was, was vicious to his people, even to his own family. One historian said it would be better to be Herod's pig than his son. He would have his, he his sons killed because he thought they were trying to overthrow his throne. And so here's Herod. Herod wanted nothing to do with Jesus. What did Herod want? Hey, go tell me where it is, where he is, so I can destroy him. He ends up killing all the babies in Bethlehem under the age of two, hoping to destroy Jesus. He wanted control. He didn't want to give up his kingdom. He didn't want to give up his wealth. Didn't want to give up his power. Didn't want to give his life to Jesus. He was totally on red. You, you look at the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, they paid little attention to God. They, they were satisfied with just a, a little bit of religion. I, I don't want to seek Jesus with everything. I don't want to be one of those radical Christians. I don't want to give him everything. These guys knew the truth and they cho- chose to ignore it. Like it says in Romans 1, they consider themselves wise, but in fact became fools. I love it because these pagan magicians show up who, who, as religious people, you look at them and say, I mean, these guys are crazy, man. They believe in like stars and magic and all this stuff. They show up and they become the wise men because those who were supposed to be wise thought they knew better. They were the wise ones because they were seeking Jesus. Maybe you find yourself in this place, maybe thinking of this whole life as a Christmas play, and you're wondering, what part do I play in this year's Christmas play? What costume do I need to get on? I mean, do I get to be one of the wise men? Will I seek like them? Listen, if you have no time for God outside of Sunday, you're probably not a wise man. If you have no desire to spend, spend time with God and seeking him in prayer or in study, you're probably not a wise man. If you find yourself constantly excusing sin in your life, you're probably not a wise man. If you're seeking so many other things with greater energy, hobbies, money, job, relaxation, and all good things that God gives us as gifts, but when they become more ultimate than Jesus, you're not acting like a wise man. I'm not saying we have to be perfect, but are you seeking more of Jesus? Would you say this morning, I want to join these wise men in seeking Jesus? What's this all lead to? Where's it all end up? Here, quickly, our, our last point this morning is this. 
I will join the wise men in worship. This is where it ends up. When we seek Jesus, what happens is our lives begin to be lives of worship. What do these guys do? In verse 10, they show up at the house. When they saw the star, it says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Matthew here says, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. It's a funny sentence that he puts together there. What, What Matthew was doing, he's trying to cram every word possible that he can cram into that sentence to say, these guys were excited. I mean, they rejoiced. Like exceedingly. No, like, like with great joy. Why? Because they found Jesus. I mean, think about it. When you, when you lose something in your home, you know, I lose my keys in my wallet all the time. And I'm, I'm ripping the house apart. I'm looking through old jackets I thought I wore. I'm looking under bed, beds. I'm looking under couches. I'm trying. When I find it, when I find the thing I'm looking for, I always, I mean, you probably do too, you get a little excited, right? You kind of let out a yes. Or you're like, I found it! and then you're off. Think about it. These guys found the king, the savior of the world that they've been searching for for probably two years. They find, they didn't just say, yes, we found it. They were like, woohoo! This wasn't like a little high five and a fist bump. They were exceedingly great joy, jumping up and down. There was worship and joy here. They find Jesus, imagine their excitement. They go into the house, it says they, they worshiped Jesus. Think of what this looks like. These rich, powerful men show up at a house and there's a toddler in the house. Now your, your typical reaction, if that was just a toddler, would be, oh, so cute, right? These guys worship, and the word worship there, it's, it's a Greek word, proskuneo. It means they fell flat on their faces, These rich, powerful men fall on their face before Jesus. Why? Think of this from a heavenly perspective, what's going on here. He's not just a toddler. This is Jesus Christ, creator, sustainer of the universe. Anyone all through scripture who come face to face with God in his glory do the same thing. They fall on their face. These guys come to grips of who this really was. They fall on their face. They worship. Like, like Isaiah, when he sees Jesus, when he sees Jesus on his throne in Isaiah 6, he falls on his face. Job, who, who, who thought he knew God, who was called the most righteous person on earth, in Job 42, he says, I've heard of you, but now that I see you, I take back everything I've said, and I sit in repentance. The Apostle John says that he was the disciple who Jesus loved. He would have been Jesus' best friend when Jesus was on earth for three years. John, his best friend, who hung out with him for three years, when he saw Jesus Christ in Revelation, the heavens opened up, he sees Christ on his throne, says in in Revelation that John fell down on his face as though he was dead. These powerful, rich, wise men drop to their faces in worship. Why? Why? because they understand who this Jesus was. <coughs> it was a few Christmases ago, a friend of mine was telling me about a loved one in their family that was not going to make it to Christmas. They had an illness, 
But when they talked to the loved one, the person said this, said, I, I may not make it to Christmas, and, and although I would love to spend time with my family at Christmas, what they said was this, how cool will it be for my first Christmas to be face-to-face with Jesus? I mean, think about that. Think about right now actually being in the presence face-to-face with Jesus Christ. Whatever you're imagining, it's probably too small. He's beyond description. All the suffering and all the treasures that we think are so big pale in his presence. These guys fall down and worship the God of the universe. But not only did they just worship, it says they gave. They gave gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Not not just songs, not just talk. I mean, there was action to their worship. Giving these gifts, gold fit for a king. Frankincense, usually used in worship, saying this isn't just a king, he's God the king. Myrrh is something they used to use to anoint bodies at death. And I don't know if these wise men had no idea what they were doing, but in a prophetic way, they were saying this is not just a baby. This is going to be a baby who's going to grow up to die for the sins of the world. As someone once said, it's the cradle that rocked the world. They worship, they give in in the presence of of Jesus, a king, a lord, a savior. My question this morning is, do you know him? Where you fall on your face in worship, where you are compelled to know him more and more, do you know him? Where, where your life is given as a sacrifice, do you know him? Where you find yourself having what, what one preacher calls a holy dissatisfaction. Not that you're down on your life, but you look at your life and go, man, there can be so much more. As Jesus takes over more and more of my life, I'm, I'm not satisfied with where I am now. I'm not satisfied with as much as I know of him. I want to know him more. I want to take these parts of my life that are still on red and I'm flipping them to green. The good news is that we can be changed. The good news is you don't have to stop at the outside of the city. You can walk right into the throne room of God. And and God says, I'm not going to leave you like you were. I'm not going to leave your heart where it is. I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. Listen, don't allow past success to stop you from pursuing more of Jesus. Don't allow past failure to stop you from pursuing more of Jesus. And it's tragic that our churches are filled with so many religious people who are bored in worship. It's tragic that that so many people outside of the church who are wounded and hurting and looking for hope feel like they can't come into the church to find that. My prayer is this, let's be a church where there's not boredom in worship because we found and are still searching for more of Jesus. Let us be a church where people who are busted up can come in and say, this is what I'm looking for. And we encourage the hurting. We help the seeking. I mean, these wise men gave up everything in pursuit of Jesus. Have you really gotten the message of Christmas? That Jesus is worth everything. That Jesus is for the outsider and the messed up. I love that it's, it's shepherds and pagans who are the first ones to come worship Jesus. Those who are outsiders. Listen, you don't have to be the right kind of person to pursue Jesus. God receives you as you are. Jesus died to make you into who he wants you to be. But you have to pursue him. A savior's been born who died for your sin, who can reconcile you to God, 
He's a gift for all who receive him. So this morning, maybe again or for the first time, that you would fall on your knees to to receive him, to worship him, to offer your life as a gift to him. As the worship team comes up, we end off this morning in worship. My question this morning is this. Are you seeking Jesus? Are you seeking to truly know Jesus? Don't be satisfied with where you are right now. If there are areas in your heart where you say, I know there's areas where I, I haven't given up everything. I haven't flipped this over. I haven't given it to God. And understand that Jesus steps into that brokenness, into that mess, into that sin, into that fear, into that whatever it is that's holding you back. And listen, you don't run in your own strength. You run hard after Jesus, seeking him, and he will be found, and you will know him deeply. Just stand with me as I pray before we worship. Lord Jesus, you are above all. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're above our possessions. Nothing we have here on earth, all of your great gifts are, are, are so unimportant to us if we can't have you in our life. You're above our relationships and our friendships. If I end up alone and deserted in the middle of nowhere, Lord God, you're enough. Lord God, you're above our comforts. Even if it means our health or carrying a cross for you, Lord God, we want to keep our commitment to you to keep pursuing you. Lord Jesus, you're above everything, above our reputations, above our ambitions, above our future hopes and dreams. You are our hope. You are our life. Lord God, we must decrease so you can increase. That we would fade back so you would shine more brightly. That Jesus, you are above all. That Jesus, you are the rock on which we stand. There's no hope in anything else but in you, Lord Jesus. May we seek you with everything. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.